so me, like the, the, the forest girl that I am, I go, I have something. And I run off to my yard in my car and I go get this bag of this green shredded herb. And he just looks at me and he's like, all right, what? dude. <laughs> and so I put it on and it immediately clotted. Like it just stopped. And he's like, what kind of plant witch are you? Like this is a Life in Motion audio experience. A podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. Welcome everyone to episode 32 of Life in Motion. Um, as always, I try to find kind of unique guests that are doing some awesome and different things, and I'd say that today's guest is uh, definitely no different. Um, I'd like to welcome Rachel West of Once Upon a Weed, who is a forager, harvester, um, and from seeing her speak at another event, uh, seems to be one of the most knowledgeable people that I know as far as speaking about plants, um, whether they're being used for food or for medicinal purposes, um, which of course she'll definitely dive into. But uh, Rachel, thank you for being on uh, on today's show. Thank you. Yeah, so, happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you, and excited to see what you have to share. So, but before we kind of get into once upon a weed and sort of all that you do, um, if you can tell us a little bit of background story of of who you are, kind of where you grew up, and sort of how you kind of got involved with all of these things. Sure, I am originally from Texas. Okay, I. Um, uh, kind of uh, revolted then uh, at around 18 and ran off to California. I um, decided that I uh, wanted a different style of life. I didn't want to know what my life was going to be like. Okay. And the idea of just staying in Texas was uh, crazy even for school. So I, uh, I ran off to California and um, followed a Marine the the typical story that you end up you end up hearing <laughs> and we all know how the story ends too so um, during that time though I really got into herbalism um, out in California there was more health food stores than there were pharmacies it seemed like and so okay. everything was surrounded with herbs and so I took a Susan Wheat's course and then I took one um, another like a few different uh, online for specific whether it was uh, for respiratory or for first aid they have different uh, different types of classes that you could take. And so I signed up for four or five um, that way. And I um, just really used it for my own health at that point. Um, it wasn't until I moved to Missouri about eight years ago. Okay. And um, again, the, the same story. I was barefoot pregnant at 28, had no idea of how I was going to have children when I had not even planned on that even being in my life's path. Yeah. And so was standing in the front yard and uh, was staring at this plant. And I was like, I know this plant. And it was um, elderberry. And I was like, man, this, this, whole, this whole side is just covered in elderberry. And then um, maybe a week later, I found yarrow. And then there was this fragrant uh, plant in the early, early spring that I couldn't figure it out. And I posted it on some forum and I found out that it was autumn olive. And so I started Googling autumn olive because it was not one that I was familiar with from California or any of the herb classes. And I found out that it was this invasive non-native that they had planted in hedgerows. But the berry itself had 17 times the lycopene as a tomato. It tasted like sweet tart. The, the, the whole entire half shrub was just covered. I mean, I could harvest gallons easy with the littles really? and run them through a sieve. And they were extremely high in vitamin C. And so I would... Um, I would uh, run them through and turn them into fruit leathers. Okay. And so I started doing that, and I started just kind of figuring out daily tasks that I could go outside. Well, once I started focusing on non-natives, it was amazing imagining all of these herbs that I thought were 
uh, miracles to find on my property were actually looked at by a lot of people here as like not a positive plant. And yeah. I was very surprised because I was like, well, this is supposed to be healing and this is this beautiful thing that I was excited to see. And so I started uh, Once Upon a Weed to kind of just teach about the plants that were in my yard and try to try to change some of the people's minds around me about looking at a dandelion or looking at burdock. Like I had been digging all this burdock from a neighbor's property that they couldn't stand. And I was like, you know, they sell this in our Asian food restaurants. Like it's called gobo. And he like looked at me and he's like, it's called what? And I said, it's called gobo, G-O-B-O. They sell it in the Asian market. Like this is a food. Really? And he was like, I... This is, this is just a nemesis. It's terrible. You can dig as much of it as you want. You can have. And so now through the, the gardens even, I, I've done a lot of different master gardeners classes. Spoke for the Springfield Native um, uh, Herb Society. Mm-hmm. And then the, the Native Plant Society. And then the Master Gardeners. Did I say them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so... Um, through those networks, when I talk about wanting to eat these non-natives, I get these master gardeners that their eyes light up and they're like, you want to eat garlic mustard? Like, we have to either spray it with Roundup or we're out there pulling it by the trash bag full. And I'm like, well, you know, the Japanese still use it as a food crop today. And it grows without even tunnel cover. I can harvest it today with 12 degree temperatures really? and ice on the ground. I can go harvest hardy, beautiful greens. The root tastes like horseradish. The greens taste like garlic and mustard combined. How much more delicious could you get yeah, as a mustard? Yeah. And yet it's a non-native and it just um, takes over the, the forest. And so being able to harvest it not only for free, but to help someone not spray chemicals or to see the yeah, benefit and then point. use it as a class, like use it as this teaching moment of, hey, if we were all eating these things, like kudzu was also brought here as a food crop yeah. at, at, at an exhibition, and then it, it escaped out into the wild. Really? But if everybody was harvesting the kudzu, maybe not at this point. Maybe we really do need to trash bag a whole, whole bunch of it up <laughs> down in Arkansas. But definitely eating uh, the non-natives and then respecting the natives and understanding how they were food crops is is uh, definitely a passion. Yeah. So like our oak trees. Um, they're native or red bud they're native but they're all food crops and so seeing those things as the eden that we live in and um one of the the titles before i decided on once upon a wheeze was going to be eaten eden yeah. <laughs> i figured it was too much of a tongue twister but it felt like that because i was like once you see the red bud as three different food sources from the leaves to the pods to the flowers all of a sudden, it looks just like an apple tree yeah. or an oak. You're like, oh, man, I love those. I love acorn cornbread. I'm so excited that I have that tree right here. Or blue spruce caramel. People plant blue spruces as ornamental, and yet you, oh, can, you can turn uh, the leaves into a delicious tea or a caramel. Um, ginkgo. They plant them all downtown, but ginkgo is, uh, especially in the fall when it turns golden, mm-hmm. is a coveted tea leaf that's an right. um, immune booster. So. Okay. There's all of these things that we even plant as ornamentals without realizing that they're uh, they're edible. And it sounds like you kind of got into it more or less by your own curiosity in the beginning, right? I oh guess yeah, I was look- home with two little babies. I had uh, a one year old and a two two year old. They were 16 months apart, so I could wear one on me and hold the other one's hand, and we could go out every single day and come back with a basket full of stuff that we had found and dissect it and decide how to cook with different things. And so we did that for four or five years until I started working for the gardens. And even when I started working for the gardens, they uh, they came to work with me. So they worked in the commercial kitchen or they worked out in the garden yeah. until they started school. So that's awesome. So and then so and then kind of get into that a little bit um, as far as 
you know, you kind of started once upon a weed or the idea of it was to more or less just to educate people of, I'm assuming what a lot of it either they saw as something, um, you know, like a, like the red bud, I think you were saying or whatnot, you know, as a, as just a tree, but it's other food sources. And also it sounds like there's some, uh, plants that more or less like wheat, actual weeds and people don't think about and try to kill them with spray or whatnot, but don't really understand the the, the, the value of them, I guess, or the, what you can get out of them. Oh, sure. If I made you uh, roast a dandelion root coffee, you would never, <laughs> ever look at a dandelion the same way again. You would, every time you would just be cursing the fact that we were in the Ozarks and there was rocks <laughs> inhibiting you from digging all of the dandelions up because they're that delicious that I think that if, um, if we, the, the thing is though, that the plants tell a story of our past. And okay. if we connect the past with or the plants with our past. Um, so if we look at the dandelion, it was brought over here by early Europeans. And so if you were thinking about leaving your family and your island um, and you were going to um, get on a ship and you were going to come over, the things that you would want to bring, mm-hmm. what, what are those things that, that are the most sacred to you? And then when you look at this plant at the way that we look at it today, it's just mind blowing to me because somebody would have thought that that was not only not, not just one person, but thousands of people for it to have spread all over would have, it was such a, an important food crop and and medicine. So they used all parts of the plant for different, uh, different purposes from poultices to, to, to pestos, to using it like a root vegetable, to roasting it for coffee. And so to, to bring it here, just like plantain was used as a medicinal and as an edible. And so to have those things brought here as a coveted food crop and then just over a few hundred years, uh, you know, to be replaced with things that are just not as bitter, but they also don't cause the, uh, the same re- uh, reaction in our digestive system that a bitter does to help us digest food. Okay. And so we, uh, we look at our, our prebiotics and all of these probiotics that everybody's trying to take now. And if you actually go back to the main f- sources of food, we have bred down so many foods to no longer have any of those compounds that actually help us digest food or that can help us feed our healthy gut bacteria. Really? So they've actually shown that the more amount of uh, foods, the more, the, the more diverse your diet is, the more diverse your gut bacteria will be. And so this, if you eat the same eight or eight or 10 fruits and vegetables versus hunter gatherers who would have eaten 200, the amount of, of good gut bacteria is just, you're going to limit yourself. So, and I, get, and I guess by good gut bacteria, I guess just stuff that helps you digest and maybe feel good and it, it increases your mood and increases the way okay. that you feel. So there's a whole nother science behind all, too, that. all that yeah. really. Okay. I guess I didn't really think um, about it that way. So, and then, and then you look at how much we pay for organic food and mm-hmm. a lot of times, especially in the winter, you, you can walk in and you can, you can buy organic greens and they're weeks old and they're, they're half dead and wilted and they look even really, really sad. And you're like, okay, so either the ones that look half fresh with chemicals or these dead things that are yeah. three times the price. And so that's another reason that I love foraging is a lot of times if I just need like, uh, for instance, last night I wanted to make egg drop soup. Okay. And so I had broth on hand, had eggs on hand. I'm like, okay, all I need are some onions. Well, I'm run, run outside. I don't have to go to the grocery store. I can run down to the forest bottom or route around the corner. I mean, wild onions and wild garlic are some of the most common things in any yard or garden. Yeah. So just learning how to use that or go and cut the tops and know that they haven't been sprayed. And they're literally minutes old before they go into my soup from the time that they were harvested. So that freshness, you can't, yeah. you just can't replace that. And so it, it's almost like having a garden. But the earth does it for me. And so yeah. it's like, so they working for the gardens. It's kind of funny because I'm always 
hey, you know those weeds that just showed up? That you, you can you can still use those. Don't worry about it. Like the birds <laughs> just planted more food for you. you. Those were free seeds. Like just look at them. Yeah, like those yeah, yeah. were free seeds. And so it's it's a beautiful circle. To, like so we there's a there's a few different uh, wild edibles instructors that I know, and we all you know we all preach this uh, this bare earth garden that to have a garden, all you need to do is just go scratch up the dirt, leave it be. And then show up, and at least 80% will be edible food that, that shows up out of the blue. It might be mince, it might be mullein, it might be chickweed, it might be dandelion, it might be plantain, it might be burdock. But all of these things show up on the bare earth because they're all land healers and they're all meant to, to be ground covers. And so it's just, uh, it's just nature's, nature's way. So how, how much of that, like... Uh, how much of that has to do like with location I guess in that example you know if you you know get a bare piece of dirt or whatnot like you kind of said how much of that has to do like if you kind of live out in a rural 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 area um, mm-hmm. versus you know um, the opposite in suburban area like it, it's it, the same it... anywhere um, the the plants that I've been mentioned that I've mentioned here are all um, are mostly all non-native invasive plants that the birds love to eat and scatter throughout they are found um, in most states Okay. In most places in all states, like especially uh, dandelion, burdock, chickweed, henbit, um, a lot of the different mints, but the henbit and the purple dead nettle are the ones that you'll see in the early spring. They mm-hmm. have the uh, bright purple flowers. The dead nettle smells really musty. The only way I really like to use that is to pickle it, but its cousin, the henbit, is just like a really beautiful light spinach. And so we use that as a pot herb, cooking it down like you would collard greens okay. or adding it into sandwiches or anything like that. Um, but, you know, right now, uh, I've even been messing around with just uh, leaves, twigs, bark, berries like juniper berries you can infuse juniper berries you can turn it into a tea uh, that tea you can fold into crackers and bread so if I was just going to make a loaf of white bread for instance I could fold in uh, for the cup of uh, water I could fold in an entire cup of juniper tea okay. and now I have juniper spiced bread so just really? thinking of ways to go on a walk with the kids and grab a few berries and talk about where food really comes from and um, then making something that everybody can taste it is, is kind of the key. Whether it's just infusing a simple syrup or even pancakes. Uh, sometimes uh, my littles will come in and they've harvested a bucket of flowers. And man, I do not feel like messing with flowers sometimes. And so. Why is that? I'll, oh, well, if I'm They're done just... with teaching or at the okay, end of the okay, day okay. where you're just like, oh, okay. And I'll go, well, let's, do you want to turn it into a tea? Because that'd be the easiest thing. And they're like, nah, pancakes. <laughs> so I'll set them up to s- separate all the flowers out or pick off the leaves. And then we'll do breakfast for dinner. Really? But it gives them this way of feeling like they contributed to, and they, and they spent 40 minutes gathering and another 40 at the table. And like with that, I guess it sounds like a lot of it, you don't have to wait to dry anything out. I mean, I'm, you're pickling and that kind of thing. But for the most part, you yeah, just I get have, it and it's I have two dehydrators. Dehi- so dehydrator, there we go. I do okay, have a dehydrator so. that I used year round. And then now I've added a second just because I, with the classes and stuff, I, I, was realizing that I was either preserving for myself or preserving for class. And so I got a second one so I could do both at the same time. Yeah. Um, once season starts every single day, I feel pressure. Um, I spent um, over, over 280 days gathering last year. And wow. I, um, I have a little journal that what I gather every day or other. And sometimes it might be as simple as just filling some baskets with some red buds or go with gathering some garlic mustard for dinner. Other days is trying to store and harvest um, 
20 pounds of yarrow and being able to dehydrate enough for classes for the season when it before it goes into flower or doing like, yeah. I'm like oh no it's getting in the end and then I, and then while i've got the dehydrator loaded with that i'm like oh no that mint field's in bloom oh what am i gonna do i've got to do that tomorrow and i'm like this crazy and everybody's like this guy is not falling everything's fine rachel and i'm like it's not it's not i'm not harvesting enough i'm it's gonna be the end of the winter and i'm gonna be like this and we're, yeah. we're to the last jar of red bud jelly and everybody's fighting over it yeah. i know what the end of the year <laughs> how it comes like we have to be stored up so it really does help connect uh, everybody to the seasons too because we really appreciate when the red buds are in bloom now yeah more than just seeing the the color we we really are like oh we gotta we get to make our pickles because red bud pickles too are okay. amazing and they're this bright beautiful red and if you put them on the top of deviled eggs or in a sandwich yeah, or yeah. on a hot dog or anything like that it's just like what is happening to this food in the early spring and it's just a really easy way to to integrate the, uh, the foods that we already have available into everyday Well, and that's dishes. what I was going to ask. Like in, in your case, how much, I mean, 280 some days, that's, that's a lot of that's a lot of That's a lot of river days too, so, floating and, <laughs> and just true. being outside on the trail. And how, how much would you say of, I guess, your, I guess, home diet or however you want to word that is we are versus... just we accent everything i don't so it's you so it's used in there no matter some one way or the other so, oh yeah, yeah like yeah, we, yeah. we we just add we we're always adding spices and things i'm always drinking tea that has some you know we're always gathering That's awesome um our goal this year is to um to be incorporating um our uh, while i'm working on this cookbook is to be incorporating all of the dishes that we have with at least one one wild side okay. and so um, that'll also help me with uh with doing the book so mentioning the book um, i'm working on uh, writing a cookbook uh, once upon a weed which is going to be like a foraging adventure for families um that is uh, focused on the stories of where the plants come from, but basic recipes on how to use them in any season. Um, like for instance, the dandelion will, you'll, you'll use it in the early spring with the flowers mm-hmm. um, and then the early leaves. And then you dig the, the root in the fall. And so okay. talking about the different seasonality of when you do find things and how to use them. Um, and I'm also focusing on um, non-natives. I'll have a few medicinal natives like the elderberry and yarrow in there, but I definitely want to focus on the non-natives um, mm-hmm. as a food source as well as foraging scavenger hunt like this eat the invaders mindset of (laughs) what am i going to send if i'm going to send mass amounts of people out to a forest what is the safest thing for me to teach them something that's easily identifiable yeah um delicious and um i'm not really worried about its habitat or if where they're finding it as long as it's not sprayed and it's wild if it is a non-native i'm not worried about the population in that area yeah versus if i was telling somebody about spice bush while i can i can talk to you one-on-one or lead you to a spot where and teach you how to harvest that's a lot different than digging a non-native mustard that will spread seeds for 40 years yeah yeah and so uh the 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 populations are so um are so massive too with the non-natives that it gives a larger reach for people to walk out just behind their back door. You don't really have to go to a national forest to find them. You, as long as your yard is not sprayed and you don't have a lot of dog feces or something okay. that you wouldn't want to <laughs> eat, watch out for you're, that. Yeah, <laughs> you're uh, you're good. And so, especially people with home gardens, um, it's it's really really lovely just to identify the plants that to show up there. Yeah. So it sounds like with the book too, you're trying to make it. Um 
interactive in a couple of different ways. You know, the the cooking aspect of it would also encourage him to go out and kind of that scavenger hunt idea of it, which I think oh, is yeah, an awesome idea. Oh yeah, every single chapter, kind of, every single plant will have a scavenger hunt page. With a picture of the plant, how to identify the plant once you dig it up, a place maybe uh, for the kids to be able to draw or sketch the plant, talk about how it smells, yeah. um, talk about the things that eat on the plant other than us, Could showing you the different and things. Sniff on it? <laughs> that would be really <laughs> cool. Um, I definitely, I'm going to have, a, I've got onceuponaweed.com purchase, so I'm working on the website now for okay. classes. But I'm also going to have some basic recipes and then just activities for outdoor that I want to have for free for everybody, the people that don't have access while I'm writing the book and before that, you know, I'm hoping that it would be available at libraries or I, my main goal would hopefully for it to be used as a curriculum in the school yeah. because it would have the 10 or 20 basic plants yeah. with um, applicable uses that, I mean, um, to see my friends, five and six year olds come with mine and, and know the plants and know what they can harvest is really, really cool. But then to have a 13-year-old send me recipes where she's frying <laughs> maple leaves cool. and making dandelion honey, that's a whole nother level. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, just to have been around her for the last five years and go, she's she's doing things that I haven't, I've been wanting to do this season and she's already doing them and she's 13. Like, this is the coolest ever. Like, just somebody pinch me. Like, how do I do this yeah. on a main scale? Like, I don't that even care awesome. if you put a wig on me and you turn me into an old lady <laughs> and nobody knew my name. If I could get more kids just out there, just like, doing that. harvesting yeah. maple seeds and, and frying them up for their moms with green beans. And, you know, that that's the coolest. Uh, that's the coolest thing ever. That's awesome. Plus, it's, they're, they're not... Um, they're not on a tablet. They're they're outside in nature yeah. and they're gathering food and they're connecting with, with what's outside and not what's, you know, just yeah. inside the tube. And there's a, yeah, <laughs> there's a, lot, of, like, a lot, of, lot of different aspects of that, you know, as far as being outside, but also the knowledge that comes along with that and, and kind of kind of like a survival type. Right. So know, I idea, work for uh, Sigma 3 for Survival School. I okay. do... Um, I am their wildcraft educator. Okay. And so I do herbalist classes for them. Um, they have guys that just go out into the forest with just a knife for a week and build shelter. Uh, they're out there for 45 days total, but they're they're tested in this, this one week where they only get a knife and no like no sleeping bag, no anything. Just they have to build a shelter. They have to do, knife. yeah. Okay. And so um, right before that week, I come in and I teach them how what, what plants ah. and stuff to eat and, and harvest. And so... That has been a really good motivator into figuring out ways in any season to make things taste good. Because yeah. sometimes, man, I'm out in July with these guys. And not only are they getting eaten by ticks, but I'm like, <laughs> oh, man. And I'm about to show you some greens, and they're going to be the worst that you could possibly. Like, it's, it's, it's you know, July, August, and, and the Ozarks, it's hot and dry. Like, yeah. you, you can't even get garden, garden vegetables right, to taste right. good at this point <laughs> in this season. And so uh, that's where, you know, smoking the greens comes with and, and just learning which roots to dig and add to and so um and, and and using different spices and stuff from nature that it's been um really really cool to get to to broaden that uh, yeah that reach and so i also work with homeschool groups like i'm working okay. in march uh with uh, classical conversations and then in may i'm doing with the wolf school uh bass pros uh, wonders of wildlife they're fifth graders so I, last year I did a tour out with them too, and so I love getting to work with the school with, with like school kids from different whether it be homeschool or public school, and just yeah. just really getting that inspiration going. And so that's why I want to have the website where I can direct more. Where if if you are 
10 or 13, I can go, hey, if you're really into that in your backyard, go check this out. And I'll always be posting new recipes outside of my Facebook page. I have a Facebook page called Once Upon a Weed that I started. But it seems like a lot of the newer, uh, the the younger generations are just not really into Facebook as much. It's all Instagram or it's even faster. And so figuring that out with me trying to just teach without, because there's no money through the Facebook or even Instagram when I'm posting. Yeah. So I'm just trying to figure out the best way to, like, is it, you you want flyers at the library? I'll make flyers, like whatever it is. How to get to them. Yeah, that makes sense. So with, so with those, um, I guess, you know, when, when you work with the Wonders of Wildlife school or uh, homeschoolers or anything like that are you like just bringing in um samples of these different plants and talking to them like wherever that location is or are you actually doing like many like field trips and like pointing them out is it kind of a mixture um i have dozens and dozens of jars that are labeled with the uh the latin name as well as the common name okay um and, and culinary uses so for instance like i'll have a jar of roasted dandelion root and I'll have how to use it. And then, so it's all, um, you said scratch and sniff earlier. It's kind of scratch and sniff. You <laughs> yeah, can open yeah. all of the jars. You can smell. Um, I have, like I said, there's at least 30 or more jars of spices. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seven to 10 page brochures of turning dandelion into the roasted root or to pesto into noodles so that everybody at the classes gets to go home with um, not only the recipes, but the uses, so I'll break out how to make simple syrups, how to make a pe- like how to make um, salves, how to make an infusion, which is just basically a tea. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're just wanting to steep it with something covered so that vitamin C doesn't escape. So I have all of those basics in those that are all free for anybody that comes to the classes. I do free public classes, like I said, through the Master Gardeners or the Master Naturalists or the Native Plant Society, and so um, all of those resources are given as well as. Um, I have coloring sheets and uh, these really, really beautiful uh, scientific drawings of the plants. So when we do our walk, I actually pass that around. So while we're looking at, uh, for instance, the rose multiflora or the burdock, I will pass around the drawing of the burdock and I will be standing in front of the plant so that everybody gets to see the plant, smell the plant look at the picture and relate the two, but they also get to be sent home with those photos for later when they're in their yards. Yeah. And so I feel like that's why I wanted to do the book was because I feel like there's this disconnect from what I can offer somebody in a, per, in a personal class versus online with all of those extra materials yeah. to go back with in addition to the recipes. And so, and the problem with Facebook is everything gets lost to time. So I can post it this week and you can see it, but next year you're thinking of maple syrup or those juniper berries. And so having this this way that I can have it all almost kind in a organized. reference yeah, would yeah. be really, really beautiful and useful for me as an educator. If yeah. nothing more, if I just wrote it and used it as a curriculum for the rest of my life, yeah. it would be amazing to have the resource for myself. So Yeah, that's awesome. So I guess with that, Ian, you've listed off a ton of different plants um, and some common ones. I guess what, what are what are maybe some of your favorite plants? I don't know, maybe to find, but maybe that are, I guess, um, uh, most useful, I guess, either from like a, a food edible perspective or even like the medicinal purposes. So like what? You... So yarrow, for instance, uh, my son had uh, the flu this past uh, a few weeks and not few weeks, but few weeks ago. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he, uh, so I was using, I was adding yarrow tea and stuff like that. I know that it unnaturally will, will lower, um, the body's temperature. Okay. Um, yarrow is also an excellent stipic powder, the leaf, uh, when dried. 
And so um, I have used it on dozens and dozens of people. Uh, about four or five years ago, I had a friend that I was uh, getting to know and he was had a really large interest in uh, foraging. And okay. so uh, the day that we were going to go to the garden, I um, grabbed this bag of yarrow and I was like, man, I really need to talk to him about it. Well, later on that afternoon, he was installing this irrigation hose at the garden uh-huh. and he cut his arm and it was just like two or three inches wide. It was just bleeding. I had never, I had never seen a cut that like that was bleeding that yeah. fast. I was kind of freaked That's out. Kind of, yeah. I was like, Where whoa, whoa, but it, right here. Ugh. And so, yeah, right here on the inside of the forearm. And so it was like, oh, oh, that is not a good spot either. So me, like the, the the forest girl that I am, I go, I have something. And I run off to my yard in my car and I go get this bag of this green shredded herb. And he just looks at me and he's like, all right, what? dude. <laughs> and so I put it on and it immediately clotted. Like it just stopped. And he's like, what kind of plant witch are you? Like I've never seen anything work like that. Yeah. It was just like it was just an instant band-aid, but it just Within, without the pressure, it just stopped bleeding. It just, and it was just dripping on the ground, you know. And so I was like, I've never seen it work like that. I just have seen it work on, like, little cuts and yeah. stuff. But I've read about it for bullet wounds, like bullet shot wounds in uh, different field journals that I've read with, uh, or, like, with field medics that were riding back and forth during the Civil War. Yeah. Um, they were using this for, for gunshot wounds. And so I was like, well, I just knew that it was good. So he flies out on a trip to go visit his folks that was planned that, that next day. And his mom, who's a nurse, like looked at it and said that she had never seen a cut that had healed like that, or that didn't need that she thought it would have needed stitches, and she couldn't believe that it had just really? like was solid. So um, that was the first time that I was really a believer in it. And then uh, this last summer, I had a guy who had stepped on like an old beer bottle at the lake, and I didn't know him, but I just heard you know Somebody commotion talking. at the end. Yeah. So I walked down there. And he had like this big gash, like three inch cut, like on the bottom of his foot. And like they pulled it out and it was just profusely. So I gave him a yarrow <laughs> and he looked at me and he was just like, it stopped hurting. And I said, yeah, it's analgesic. And he's like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and I said, it means that it's, it you know, it'll, it'll help with the pain. It'll help with the inflammation. It's antibacterial too. So it'll help with anything that was on there. And he's like, I, I need that. So I gave him my phone number. And sure enough, he uh, he he met me to get some more to pack in. And um, then I have another friend who has, uh, she gets canker sores in her mouth. Okay. And so I told her, I said, well, I know it says for ulcer. So I gave her some of the yarrow. And um, she called me the next day and she's like, Rachel, it usually takes like a whole week. I can feel it. I can't, it's gone. It's just gone. And I was like, that's awesome. So... I think that out of all the plants, yarrow is one that I definitely uh, preach more about because yeah. I've seen its um, its medicinal benefit other than just being edible all of the time. Yeah. And so it's definitely one. I have it in every glove box of any vehicle. It's in my float bag. It's in my backpacking bag. So is it like a bigger leaf or is it? Um, no, it's actually a uh, really, leaf? really, really, really fine leaf. Uh, okay. It's uh, it's Latin name actually means um, like leaf of a thousand or hair of a thousand. Okay. It, it, uh, yeah. Okay. And so um, I can I can bring some in though after we okay. talk yeah, about yeah, medicinal. Definitely. Yeah. So yarrow, it's um, it is a medicinal plant. You can use it as an herb too. Um, plantain is a non-native. Um, the Native Americans actually referred to it as white man's footprint. Okay. Because anywhere that we went, we uh, yeah. we took it around. Um, in the early spring here, though, I love roasting it like kale chips. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you can also just roll it around in your hands like a poultice. And if you get um, any kind of, like, bee sting or um, anything like that, uh, poison ivy, poison oak, it uh, helps alleviate the formic acid okay. uh, reaction. So it helps that sting. 
Um, it's also really uh, it's uh, really good for like skin tightening. Um, mm-hmm. So whether you want to use it for beauty or you want to tighten a cut or an area that you want to use it as a, like a, a wash where you're trying to get a skin okay. to scab over or if you want your face to be super toned and <laughs> tightened. I've heard of women using it for that too. Um, there are a lot of different um, spices and things though that you can um, incorporate into every day that are just right out in your yard. So like spice bush is uh, one that is in almost any understory forest canopy and um, the leaves can be steeped as a tea. You can use it underneath um, veggies or meat for um, for seasoning like on the grill. Yeah. The, the stems can be steeped in milk and then turned into an ice cream or a cream. They have this lemon, spicy, oh man, if you, if you know what allspice tastes like, it's, uh, that's why they called it the spice bush, is because the early Europeans, when they smelled it and they tasted the seeds, they said it was like an allspice plant. Really? Okay. So it's got that, uh, that um, not, I don't want to say clove, because clove is really, really strong, but that lemon clove, that, that spicy yeah, twist, yeah, yeah. cinnamon, yeah. yeah. Um, so you can use the, the leaves though, the berries and the stems. So even right now in the winter to infuse, you could use them as skewers or you can steep them for tea. Okay. Um, I've been making, like I was telling you earlier, uh, the bark cakes and different types of, uh, crackers. Yeah. Just infused with herbs. So if, and if we just go on a walk and we gather juniper and I just turn the juniper into a tea, I can turn that tea into either a simple syrup, into crackers, into a loaf of bread, into just about anything that calls for a cup of yeah. water. Yeah. And so looking at the yard that way is like, oh, what can I infuse this if something calls for? You're just like looking at different recipes as you're looking at these different plants. And, right? right, yeah. <laughs> well, for instance, like soup the other day we were going to do, um, I wanted to do a cream of celery soup. Okay. And I was like, wow, I should infuse it with some garlic mustard. Yeah. I shouldn't just do straight celery. Should do, you know, so like looking at it that way of how to, how to encourage, <laughs> how to encourage more, uh, more eating of the invasives. That's awesome. So when, and I, and I guess like one of the things like in your books and you're trying to help people identify what that plant looks like in the wild, is there like a, is there like a telltale way, I guess, to know if something isn't good to try out? I'm guessing you should probably oh, yeah, no, do you your research definitely and all that. But think about all the people that died learning how to eat the plants. We don't want to be those people. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, there are definitely there are certain species like mustards. There's uh, there's 200 species of mustard, and they're all edible. Mm-hmm. Um, mustards are really easy to identify right off the bat, and so there are certain plant uh, families that you could stick with. Okay. Um, I, I suggest just learning one at a time. Okay. Um, for instance, focus on the dandelion. Everybody knows what the dandelion already looks like, so that just following that through the season and then finding plantain or chickweed. Um, violets are another really easy starter. Um, all violets are edible, but I do not like all violets. I love all violet flowers. Violet uh, major is the only, uh, they're the ones with the heart-shaped leaves. They're more common. Mm -hmm. Um, They are the most delicious leaf in the early spring. The bird's foot violet have these um, really small leaves. They're not really worth gathering, but they're really bitter. Mm -hmm. And so just, again, tasting the plants. The same with an oak tree, though. You can eat one acorn and have it be so very bitter and eat another and have have it not. So 
you already have to boil the tannins out of an oak, um, out of an acorn. Um, I'm not, I'm not arguing against that, but if you harvest an oak and you can taste the, uh, the tannins and they're really strong, you might have to boil it four times. It's not going to really? seem worth it after you're yeah. into the processing, but if you taste one and it's a lot sweeter and it's not as bitter, it's might only be one boil. It's a really easy to turn into cornbread or, or flour yeah. really easy. And so um, now the flour won't have gluten in it, so you treat it like cornmeal, okay. but it is amazing like cornmeal, and it's nutty. So it's even better than corn, how corn adds that sweetness. Yeah, yeah. Um, acorn adds this this nut flavor. So um, if you've ever had like Italian wedding cake, how it's got that um, almond flavor yeah, behind yeah, yeah, it, yeah, so yeah. you're like, okay, all other cake now fails in comparison to <laughs> Italian wedding cake only because of the nut flavor. Yeah. That's how I feel about the acorn flour. After you've had it, you're like, okay, well, corn is cool because it's sweet, but it's really missing that nutty flavor because it's got that same granule-like texture, but it just doesn't have that nut flavor. So can you just add something here to help me out? I've never had any acorn uh, flavor or or flour or anything like that before. Oh, and the best part about having a large uh, large group, especially the survival group, harvesting uh, acorns is I get the grubs too because we like to eat the grubs. Okay. So the grubs, uh, I was a vegetarian for a while. And I um, became anemic and was dealing with all kinds of other health issues and was like, still refusing that I was going to like just not eat a sustainable meat of any kind. And so I started cooking with my cast iron every day. Like I was doing everything that I could. And the doctor recommended me just getting a lot more protein to help balance out. And so I started taking... Um, um, Oh, what is that? Uh, what is the powder? Um, I want to say colostrum, but I know that is not what it is. It's uh, made out of bones. It's for your face and stuff. Uh, collagen. There we yeah, go. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a nerd. Um, <laughs> I live in the forest. I don't. I don't know what reality is. No. Um, so collagen, and which had a lot of protein in it, and. Um, then uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to raise crickets because cricket flour, I can purchase cricket flour. And okay. they, to harvest the insects, they just, uh, they freeze them. And so there's no suffering. So in this long tunnel through my brain of how to eat more natural protein, I was eating crickets and grubs. And um, it was amazing, though, the amount of, like, my hair growth and my nail what? growth. And every, it, was, it was the amount. And I had to eat such a little amount to get the amount of protein that it was, like, just a couple tablespoons of cricket flour it was like eating like three steaks and i was like this is insane like you really? could put it into a granola bar or into anything like i made these raw bars with um like uh using almond flour and all I've, of that I've, so i've heard that uh i can't it was some other podcast it might have been like tim ferris or some guy like that but it, him talking about cricket powder cricket I don't oh know, yeah like, like five that. or six like, years like ago a, i read some book called like girl like eats thing. bug like, yeah. or something and it set me oh man I, because but then my my controlling see with the with the wild edibles it's just like any other thing from a farm i question if i haven't seen its growing conditions so yeah you tell yeah. me that it's organic spinach and i'm like casting my eyes at you like well what was it what was the farm next to it though yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i've seen farms i know how those lines go is there a cattle yard next to this organic yeah. like how is this how close are these lines don't make me think what was it transported like with <laughs> yeah so you, when you go out and you gather it and you see its growing conditions you know there's no trash around yeah. it. you know there's not and so it's just that whole so i was ordering this cricket flower and i was like man how are these crickets raised what if they weren't really asleep before they were roasted? Like I had all of these, so then I'm like, I better do it. I better have them. So then I get to see them from egg 
through and then I know what they were eating their whole life. Yeah. And so then I fed, I so I had these organically raised chickweed crickets that I only fed wild edibles. I would gather everyday wild edibles <laughs> and I had these six containers of crickets in the bathroom and it was in the middle of the winter. And so it sounded like, you know, just this loud, yeah. beautiful forest in the bathroom in the middle of the winter. My ex was not a huge fan, but I absolutely loved it. I would hey, sit in there you like, your, ah, your own the sleep forest. machine there, you know, or sound machine. There we go. But it was super easy. They would um, all harvest. They, they would all like to harvest. They would all sleep in the little egg crates. And I would just like toss them in the freezer and 45 seconds later, later they were just like asleep. They would go into stasis, which is their natural bodies, like just little coma. Yeah. When they get too cold, and then, um, and then I would roast them and throw them into a paper bag, shake them, and yeah. And so I started um, teaching that aspect through the, the the survival school and stuff. And now the kids, they all ask me, you know, like, are we gonna roast crickets this year? Are we gonna do? And I'm like, huh. That's a lot of trouble to go out there and catch because then you worry about say, how, how they're you, farming or catching. Like, well, that's what I was gonna say. I don't raise do them you, anymore. How do you catch them in the wild? I feel like that would be kind of hard to with a net a challenge to do and find them. And yeah, because the net makes sense. I'm but. not gonna say no though. I'll still give them a net and let them go outside for a few hours. Right. <laughs> let them learn that lesson a little so, harder. Yeah, see what they can bring back. That's another part of my favorite part about edibles is when they're like, "Mom, can I have a basket? I really want to go get that mint." I'm like, "You go right on ahead. You go do that. We're gonna make some mint something later." Yeah. <laughs> get outside and enjoy that harvest. And now my two, they harvest with scissors, so I'm not really worried about the knife. Um, yeah. Uh, mints and all of those things they just know how to get down near the ground and they yeah, yeah. and um my daughter is seven and so if they're harvesting red buds it's really cute she reaches up and gets the taller branches and holds oh, them for denver yeah, to, yeah. to scrape into the basket <laughs> they work as a team That's only awesome. when foraging for food that they want to bring back into the house <laughs> They, as soon as the basket's out of one of their hands, they that's go back like, into attack mode. But. <laughs> oh, that's understandable, right? Right. <laughs> um, so kind of, and with all of that, too, um, and you mentioned a little bit before, you're also um, part of the Springfield Community Garden. Um, what, what, I guess, is kind of all your role there? Is it kind of piggyback off everything you do with Once Upon a, a Weed as well? Or, like, how um, do you... Well, Springfield Community Gardens is definitely my full-time job. Okay. Um, I work for, for them for 40 hours a week. I do outreach to farmers through them. Um, I actually started with the gardens, though, teaching wild edibles programs uh, okay. for free at uh, their Fairbanks garden. I did a few different backyard edibles uh, whenever I was um, home with Littles. And so when I, when they were starting to transition to going into school, uh, right before then, I got the job with the gardens. They had a food hub manager position through a grant. Okay. And it, was, it started out only part-time, and it was to feed... Um, the preschool, Life 360, there at the Fairbanks, oh, really? uh, 60% of the produce from the market garden. And so that was their their plan that they came to me with the job. And it sounded like a dream. And yeah. so I started, I was like, well, if I can do wild food, cooking with vegetables, is gonna, and I love kids. And so it has morphed from that into they, they uh, lease the commercial kitchen at uh, Cox uh, North. Okay. It's the old bakery section. Okay. So it's a really nice space there. It's a community kitchen. Um, we allow any farmers that come through our network to use the space for free. So it's a really beautiful incubator site. We're able to either help them create value-added product, uh, products or just use the space for their own um, farm growth. So, for instance, we had um, 
a farmer who is out in Rogersville, Black Ann Blueberry Farm. Okay. And um, they have a beautiful farm. They practice um, organic practices. They're looking into different programming through the USDA. Okay. I um, purchase blueberries for them to sell to Cox North through on their lunch line. And so um, we know about this farmer and we, we yeah. have this, well, they were doing a fall event, a fall festival, a lavender festival. Okay. So these brothers broke off from their parents, uh, Black and Blueberry, to do their own lavender farm. They're on the same the same land. And so they have this beautiful lavender still set up, and they were going to do, like, they have lavender tea and ice cream and all of these different where you can make your own sachets. Well, they, didn't ha- they don't have access to a commercial kitchen, though, to make cinnamon rolls and to make the food. And so they were able to come in and use the garden's kitchen for free and then use the food like it was catered from a commercial kitchen using our license and our insurance and all of our stuff. Oh, okay. And so it really gives them this this leg up into doing festivals or uh, the value added, if you will, that is a value added to that farmer is having an annual event that helps boost revenue Yeah. Uh, at the end of a season or in an off season. And where, so, where can I find their lavender ice cream at? Hit their farm. Okay. Yeah. Because so, uh, so just a side note. So my wife and I were in um, uh, Budapest, actually, I think. But we went to get gelato. We had to get gelato every day anywhere. Mm-hmm. But oh, they, oh, there yeah. was a lavender gelato, and she, I wasn't a fan of it. It was a little too flowery for me, but she loved it. And I, we I, made I a lavender blueberry pie this last year Ooh. that had lavender in the crumble. I bet she would have loved yeah. that. We'll do it this next year again, sure, as a seasonal special. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to remember that one and. And, uh, and show her that as well. But. So, yeah, through the gardens, I love to um, – now I am um, doing outreach for USDA programs for farmers. Okay. Um, that is 75% of my job, and then I help beginning farmers get started. I also look at the value added or um, and then manage the, the kitchen. So if anybody wants to utilize the kitchen or sell to the hub, is, is we it, have a really beautiful network of restaurants that want to purchase uh, unique produce or even okay, produce in season. Okay, yeah. And um, we are really, really trying to. So I've interviewed with more restaurants than we're even selling to now because there's more demand than the produce that we're able to even grow and distribute right now in Springfield. Mm-hmm. And so putting that outline together to give the farmers the slots to come into is also really, really useful. So to, to know what there is a demand for outside of just going to the farmer's market and giving up a Saturday. Yeah. That's, and now as far as like the size, I guess, of the, or, um, I guess the, the farm that the farmer has, is there like a, is there like a limit for that? I guess how, no, the, the USDA, yeah, no, uh, the USDA, they, uh, they, blew the the minimum size of a farm um to, to nothing really okay. um you can be a backyard grower okay. they and realize now that my, so right with your... micro with microgreens and with the way that high tunnels and that you can square foot garden okay they realize now that if you are on a neighborhood lot or if you are you you can be a farmer with with that's a city the... lot in the front yard you are a farmer you are growing food that's so awesome. and that's why that's sure what they want they to encourage do. um and, there, and yeah, there are certain loans through the FSA that are for rural development, like for you to purchase a farm out rurally mm-hmm. versus in an urban area. There are more incentives for rural, but that does not mean they don't that to be an urban farmer. Don't or not. No, okay. not at all. Okay, that's awesome, though. Like, you can get crop insurance up. as an urban farmer. Really? Mm-hmm. That's so. interesting. Um, so with with all of that, um, it's it's uh, it's 
and you've had some good stories. Uh, but what what are do you have any other maybe favorite stories? I guess or I don't know if success stories the right word. Um, you had the pretty applicable use with the cuts and stuff like that. But are there any other kind of unique stories that? Um, you know, even myself, I don't obviously don't know much about this, but it might be kind of surprising to, I guess, the average person. You that somebody use this as that, and kind of does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's. I mean, the the cut one is pretty good, so it might be kind of hard to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, like just that that acorns used to be used as a food crop. Um, there were tribe wars over trees. Um, you. Um, you can use a lot of um, the things that grow just already in your backyard as everyday foods. And I think that um, I'm not really sure about another another applicable story yeah. outside of the the littles or or that. I'm not um, I'm not certain, but I am certain that as far as I get at least. 12 different letters a year from kids that did classes or from moms that I was spoke with yeah. who, uh, who get to cook with the wild edibles. And so I think that just experimenting with, uh, maybe a few of the things that I mentioned or even reaching out or, or looking on, um, once upon a weed on Facebook, uh, there's all photos and there's recipes, um, just, just figuring out those few, few plants and then making those stories yourself of like how you got to use plantain or how you got to use dandelion. That's I think that that's what I really, really want to encourage is that that others that would come in contact with me, whether through classes or online, would be encouraged to to trust in going and finding an expert if you don't feel comfortable identifying the plants. Um, definitely don't ever use one source book. I have many books that have the wrong photos next oh. to descriptions or something. Yeah. You know. Now, granted, because I have hundreds, I guess that's probably a little a little more common that a publisher might miss a few that I've caught. But I would always check with at least three sources um, before I ever moving forward with an identification saying I had something. Yeah. Outside of a, um, definitely check with your local, if you are not right here in Springfield, check with your native plant society or your local master gardeners group. Um, even if those people are against the the, the, the edibles, they're also going to know about them. Yeah. And so being able to help you identify yeah, I, yeah. Hopefully, they wouldn't encourage you to go after something that's bad. <laughs> no, um, just, just. I mean, you can find a really good guidebook. My favorite um, guidebook when I got started was just the Wild Edibles uh, or uh, Missouri Wildflowers book. It had uh, color coded flowers, and you know, eighty to ninety percent of our plants are have flower have flowers, yeah. and so even trees. So it covers most anything you're going to come in contact with that you're going to notice. Yeah. And so just going with that Missouri wildflowers guide and going, this is what I'm looking at was more beneficial than I, I have, you know, at the very beginning I had maybe five to eight foraging books, Yeah. but they all focused on maybe 10 or 15 plants. They had one or two photos and then that was it. Well, I'm, I mean, there's, there's 2,500 different species of plants here. How am I ever going to narrow it down without that wildflowers book? Yeah. So the wildflowers book at least told me what the heck I was looking at. Yeah. And I could do a really quick Google for cypress or for sassafras once I knew what it was. Yeah. And then I felt a lot more comfortable moving forward with this is what the flower is. This is in my state. This is what yeah. I'm looking at. Let's go ID at three more sources. But I'm starting with my state's flower guide. And that sounds a like base, a, so. a fairly easy and uh, more, I guess, comfortable way to kind of get involved with that for somebody is 
and I have no clue about it, you know. Like oh yeah, and I have the flower guides for like way, desert so. regions and yeah. and for uh, down in Florida. When I travel, I buy whichever wildflower guide so that when I'm down there, I get to I get to play scavenger hunt too. But that's really fun for you, actually. I didn't I didn't really think about it that way when you do travel and you see something that. You There's might some not new. Like I was out in Arizona this last year. Um, and it was amazing. It was during monsoon season, and I thought I was going to the desert, and it was just going to rain. <laughs> and I was just out there, and I was like, there's amaranth, there's lamb's quarter, there's chickweed. Like, we're in Eden. How is this even possible? And everybody around me was like, it is because it is monsoon season. Like, <laughs> these plants don't even exist outside of it. And I'm like, do you know what these plants are? Like, these plants, we could survive. Like, we can do this in the desert, guys. And they're like, we do not have to eat cactuses. Like, you guys can eat your cactuses in the winter. But out in monsoon season, like, we are completely hooked up by the birds. Like, I mean, in the gravel. Like, you're out in the dirt in the gravel, and there's just all of the plants that we would see here in this lush, really? rich soil. And so it was. it's, it's really cool to see. Um, and so I would say I've got, like, the top 45, no matter where I travel from. Like, I was in the Redwoods this year, too. So I okay. was. I spent time in – I spent time in a lot of places this last year from – uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama, Bama, okay. Savannah, Georgia, and then out in the Sequoia National Forest okay. outside. So, pretty good. Touched touched all around yeah. the little center there of all, <laughs> on all sides of the United States, and I can tell you that there are unique things like the cactuses in Texas or the moss. Like Spanish moss is in the same family as uh, pineapple. And really? You would never think that. No. And you would never. Yeah. Um, now it's not edible like pineapple, but. Just, just knowing the different the different types of plants. So, they, but there are these these forty five that no matter where you go, they're they're all invaders. They're not they they weren't from Texas. They're not from California. They're not from Missouri. But just they like just the Indians called really? them, like plantain, they're just those white people's footprint. They just like all over wherever we traveled, we wanted those plants to be there. We wanted to eat them, and then we at some point decided. Hmm, we're going to trade you in for some sweeter spinach. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the funny thing is, is though, in, in Europe, they're, they're still growing dandelion greens, and they're still growing um, sorrel. Really? They, they still use them as um, as salad greens. And so it's just our, our watered-down version of, of what we want things to taste like, I think. That's interesting. And so... Um, Chef Joe with Cafe Cusco, we did an interview with, uh, for we did this... Uh, a thing at the art museum this last year for the gardens it was the annual fundraiser mm-hmm. and it was called wildcraft but he described a tomato and this is how he said it he was like if somebody comes into your restaurant and they sit there and they have a discussion over the tomato because the tomato tastes so good i knew that i'm doing my job by picking that tomato from that farmer versus just getting the shipment yeah in. yeah and so i feel that way with a lot of the different greens it's like if you could eat a salad and you could go wow Yes, I had to spend an extra 15 minutes because I wilted the greens or I blanched them or I did this. But this came out of my yard. Yeah. And I did it with my kids or my husband or it was over a Saturday while we were just outside, like, hanging out. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's not just the food. The food became the adventure. Yeah. And that's where it's cool. And so that's where that's where I want the book to have that that scavenger hunt because yeah. I want the kids to not only be like yes we're gonna cook something like we're actually gonna gather like we're gathering as a family we're gathering together to do it all it's not just about the act of cutting it with scissors yeah that's awesome so so with all that if um, as far as I know you said a couple times throughout the um, through kind of our time but as far as 
once again, kind of where can people find you online, learn about the soon-to-be book so they can get their hands on that and, and kind of all that good stuff where they can check out and see what different ways they can use their own backyard to kind of... Uh, so you could reach out to me um, either through Facebook at Once Upon a Weed. Um, you can just type in Once Upon a Weed on Google and okay. you'll find the Facebook page right there. Or you could email me at onceuponaweed at yahoo.com. Um, I am here to answer any questions or... Uh, host classes or discussions groups whatever uh, I've had a few people reach out and look into doing medicinal classes where they could maybe um, prepare plants after we gather which I would love to do yeah. I would love to do more dinners too where so we is, do gathering and feasting and kind of with that is that something where people you know can reach out to you email and be like course, hey yeah. I got a group of 10 people or whatever like can we oh yeah that's how the like homeschool like groups private, do yep. okay so I do private groups okay sweet so I, I have um, I've set it up where if it's under under thirty or over thirty, I do I, I like them separate. Yeah. I don't really want to do more than thirty people because you get less one on one. So I'd rather yeah, if, makes sense. So if it's like a homeschool group, I'll have them separated into two kids of fifteen because mm-hmm. with the adults and that gives everybody enough space to see if we go on a walk after. Definitely. Um, I have multiple PowerPoint presentations. So I can do anything from wild culinary to backyard edibles to just how to use the medicinal plants. So anything in between there, whether it, you know, um, I have some of the older groups that really want to focus on just cooking. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot that just really want to focus on how to harvest and what they can eat. So whether you want to focus on two just to get you started or you're really wanting to dive in to a monthly section. I really want to do that with a lot of the different homeschool groups is set up like a monthly um, fee where they maybe pay um, um, like whatever that monthly fee is per, per child, $5 or something, and then have me come in on a monthly basis or every two weeks or every three weeks and do a plant of the month and then oh, send them with cool. like a lot of different worksheets though to do as a classroom throughout the month with the plant and then come back in and see how the month went, that would be what cool. all the activities they did and, and follow up because a lot of them are always focused on doing science or gardening adventures or other. So being able to tie that in would be really cool. That would be awesome. Well, uh, guys, if you all want, um, are interested in your own classes reach out to her or find her on facebook at once upon a weed um but rachel thank you again for being on today's guest and kind of sharing all of your like i said it's just you you kind of blow my mind kind of the same way when i first saw you speak at mappy hour just kind of going on and on and just like how do you have all this in your head especially with the the powerpoint when you're bringing all these specific things so you're Anyways, thanks for sharing all that. You, I don't, I don't understand how you keep it all up there, but <laughs> <laughs> a light, light obsession. I, absolutely, it's, it's I love awesome it. though. And if I ever get lost anywhere, I hope it's with you because I will not starve at least. But <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. And hey, if you made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life emotion. Until next time.